0: Karen Isles is a lawyer who fights for the rights of others. Founder of the legal and consulting practice Violet Co, she has been making a difference in the lives of women and Indigenous people. She's been the victim of a series of horrific alleged sexual assaults, including a gang rape attack in 1993. She came forward in 2004, then in her early 20s, and made a statement to the police that contained names, photographs, identifying features of her attackers, maps, locations, witnesses and a co-victim, and contemporaneous evidence from a diary but the police failed to investigate her complaint. Suspects were never interviewed and Karen was told that key documents were shredded. But she's shown great bravery in speaking out about her ordeal and the police's lack of appropriate management of her case. To this end, she has started a campaign with the aim to change the way such crimes are treated in the hope that others might have an easier path to justice. Karen, welcome to Speaking Out and thank you so much for sharing your story with us.
1: It's my pleasure, Larissa. Thank you.
0: What made you finally come forward in 2004? Well, since 2004, I've been
1: following up routinely with both Queensland Police and New South Wales Police because the crimes occurred in two states. Over the last 18 years, I've been leaving messages for police and you can never get hold of the right police person. Um, And there's always a promise of, we'll call you back, we'll get back to you, such and such isn't on duty, they'll get back to you. And in about 2018, on one of those phone calls, I got a really helpful desk clerk at Coolangatta Police Station. And she said to me, oh gee, this all looks very weird. Um, And she kept using the word weird, strange destroyed and shredded and to me they were really alarming and distressing words to hear and what I was being told was that my entire file including my original statement and other evidence had been destroyed um, by Queensland police that's what she was telling me she then got in touch with a detective he then you know had many conversations with him and the solution from Queensland Police was can you go and find your file in New South Wales? So um, I endeavoured to do that in 2018 and um, Redfern Police Station told me that, in fact, they, they couldn't see anything on file. So I sat down for probably about a 90-minute session in a closed room with one male police officer and I recounted, you know, obviously not all of it um, but I recounted 90 minutes worth of detail about the sexual assaults that I'd been subjected to as a child. That police officer I've never been able to locate again and his notebook entries have not appeared in any FOI requests. That was incredibly distressing for me because I was left with New South Wales saying they had no record of anything and then the further statement I gave or the further report I gave in 2018 disappeared again. And then in Queensland, they were saying, well, we can't do anything until New South Wales find us um, what we need. So it all just ground to a halt. It then meant that I was incredibly distressed. I felt like my entire truth had been ripped away from me, something that I had been holding in for 40, since I was 14 years of age. And I'm now 43. So for the majority of my life, I've been holding this. It, all, it, it just felt like you know, those words of shredded and destroyed were not just in reference to my file and my evidence, but were actually referencing myself. It felt like my sense of identity, my sense of truth, my sense of justice for me had been destroyed and shredded. And in 2021, I kind of came back to it again. And in 2021, I was so fed up (laughs) that I finally made complaints to the police integrity units in both Queensland and New South Wales. And 15 months later, I've still not had any response from Queensland as to my complaint about how police over an 18-year period have failed to investigate what independent legal experts have referred to as some of the most horrendous sex crimes ever reported to authorities in Australia and in New South Wales the um, LECC which is the police integrity body in this state then told me that there'd been a communication error back in 2004 and um, that was it so neither New South Wales nor Queensland have to this day then their complete ineptitude is ongoing they have not interviewed Anyone, as far as I know. They haven't interviewed my co-victim witnesses or the named perpetrators that were contained in my evidence. Uh, they haven't sought to collect evidence, haven't sought really anything. Um, so it's it's very distressing, but I think this I'm not alone. This is a very common occurrence for Aboriginal women and many women, children and men who have been subjected to child sexual abuse.
0: It, I think has been one of the things that's been very striking is that a lot of these crimes go unreported. I guess one of the things that is also, I guess, extraordinary about your case is that you are a, a trained lawyer. <laughs> you know the system and yet still this has been your experience. Yeah, it's quite,
1: it's quite shocking. And I think that for me, I've managed to find the resilience and strength to keep picking up that phone and keep keep following up police because I've had two incredible parents. My mother and my father are just incredible people and have supported me unwaveringly um, throughout this whole journey. Um, my husband is incredibly patient um, (laughs) with all the ups and downs that you can imagine that goes with this and an amazing network of friends that have supported me all the way from high school and through to adulthood. I I think that the the really shocking thing for me is that it's just not an unusual occurrence. I think the stats are something like 90% of, of victim survivors of sexual assault do not report to police. And the statistics in New South Wales are really quite shocking on this, that I think there's about, um, on average, 12,000-odd reports of sexual assault to police. Only a portion of those actually get investigated, and of those that get investigated, there's then a very narrow portion that then go on to result in a criminal charge. And then, of those that are that result in a criminal charge, only a small proportion are prosecuted by the DPP, the Department of Public Prosecutions. And of those that are um, th- that actually go to trial, I think the current stats are three in ten result in a conviction. So what this leaves people with is the belief that the justice system does not believe or support victim survivors of sexual assault and as a solicitor that's a very difficult thing for me to say but I have to say that after 18 and a half years of of being polite of sitting by and and you know not wanting to be a bother not wanting to pester you know understanding that police have very important work to do that After 18 and a half years, I have finally had enough and I'm just saying this system is so broken. When you've got police with the discretion of what they'll investigate and how they'll investigate, and then when they stuff it up, you have a situation where police are investigating police, it's simply a very, very broken system that it leads to very, very unsatisfactory results for victim-survivors. The other point to make is that this is no no news to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander listeners. This story is absolutely the norm um, when dealing with police. I mean, time and time again, we see situations where Aboriginal people are turning to the police for help with violent crimes, and either having absolutely nothing happen, and their children and themselves being placed at more risk. Or alternatively, they are misidentified as the perpetrator themselves and themselves end up in hot water with the cops. So the the, the issues here with my matter are, are
0: not unusual and in fact are the norm and something needs to change was going to pick up on that point that you've made that really what's happened to you is part of a larger pattern, a systemic failure. And also significantly in your case, you are uh, dealing with a situation where you've been let down by police in two states, which would further indicate that this is a systemic problem.
1: That's right. It's I, I think when you hear the accounts of Aboriginal women, children and non-Aboriginal women, children and survivors of sexual assault, that this is nationwide. There are matters before the Supreme Court in Victoria at the moment regarding the fact that police currently do not have a firm duty of care and there there have been matters in Western Australia and throughout the country around um, police conduct and how police are and not dealing with victims of sexual assault in ways that would meet, I think, the basic human expectation, the community expectation. The police, you know, isn't that their job to investigate stuff? Isn't that what we see on the TV all the time? Cops, you know, running around investigating things. But yet for some in society or for perpetrators that perhaps they're, I don't know, maybe not interested in, there's a real disparity.
0: Just telling your story Has shone a light on some huge failings and systemic problems within the system. But um, as the true advocate for social justice that you are in your broader work, of course, you are using this as a a platform for a deeper campaign for change. Can you talk us through some of the things that you're asking for? For me, I I
1: think that the, the personal is absolutely political. So, you know as hard as it might be um to talk about things that people would frankly rather not hear or read and and i, I hear that and i'm but for me i think it's it, it's just vital that we as a society relook at the duties of care that our police forces have and a duty to protect those who have experienced violence and sexual assault or are at risk of violence and sexual assault and i i think that you'd be hard pressed to find anyone in the whole country or potentially even globally that would disagree with that statement that police ought to have a duty of care to protect and support victims of violent sexual assault so for me i think it's about readdressing that community expectation and hopefully having some legislation passed in relation to that. And as part of that, I think we need to understand and articulate as a society what our minimum expectations are of police. So when police have evidence, I think it's fair to say that we expect the police not to destroy evidence, that when police have signed and sworn statements from victim survivors, specifically in relation to very violent crimes, that it's recognised that those statements should not be destroyed or lost because in doing that you cause the victim-survivor so much trauma and grief to retell and rehash all of that. I think there should be an expectation with police that where they have the names of witnesses or other victims that they reach out to them and have a conversation and gather evidence and certainly I I believe that there should be a minimum expectation that where perpetrators are named and identified, that police have a responsibility and, in fact, a duty to not only investigate, but when the time is right within that investigation, that they go knock on their door and they go and talk to those um, alleged perpetrators and determine um, on the basis of their judgment whether or not charges should be laid. And I'm not saying that every every alleged perpetrator out there should be, you know, charged without thought or prosecuted without evidence being gathered. I'm saying that there needs to be a minimum duty to investigate and that will encourage confidence in the police system and encourage victim survivors to come forward and give them the opportunity to access justice because at the moment our opportunity, to, our opportunity to even access justice is being decided arbitrarily by police about whether they will or won't investigate and to what standard they will or won't investigate. So that's the first thing. The second thing is that when there are problems with how an investigation or or the police conduct themselves, there needs to be an independent and transparent way to investigate whether police have or haven't upheld that duty but at the moment we don't have a duty so it's very difficult for anyone externally to be able to measure whether police have or haven't done a good job because there is no baseline to measure them against and that prevents victim survivors from then having matters really looked into where they feel that things have gone off the rails with how the police have handled things and it's just my dad has has a saying and he says and I I think most of us in Australia would have this saying and shout out to my dad who's just terrific and he his mantra is police shouldn't investigate police and I think it's almost like a (laughs) bingo that I got that phrase in dad Police shouldn't be investigating police and we need better mechanisms um, to hold our our police force to account.
0: My sense in looking at the response amongst my my colleagues, my peers, uh, my friends to your bravery in speaking out in The Guardian and sharing your experiences and the lack of justice that resulted in that was actually people being inspired by the fact that you have spoken for people who don't have a voice, who haven't been able to come forward. And I think it's particularly important to note that what you showed is that when people are victims of this kind of crime, they shouldn't be ashamed. I mean, there's a big attempt to make people feel ashamed so they don't speak out. And I just want to acknowledge what an important thing it was just for you to speak out. And um, you know, I think the campaign that you've got around it uh, is something that uh, people should look at more and really get behind. But I am really interested in this question. And the system that you went to to get justice has let you down. And yet, you work in that system as a lawyer and you work in areas where you are constantly fighting for the rights of other people. And I wonder if you could share with us um, how it is that you've ended up having had these own personal experiences that you still seem to be such a crusader and show that the law can be a pathway for justice. I think the law has to be a pathway to justice because the, the opposite
1: of believing in the justice system is is chaos. It is you know, it looks like people taking matters into their own hands. And I have to say I've had so many friends and family members who had no idea that I'd experienced this over the last 24 hours have been reaching out saying, oh, my gosh, if only I had known, I would have. (laughs) And that is not the type of community that I want to live in. I want to live in a community that has um a proper system of justice. And I recognize that it is often so deeply, deeply flawed. But to completely give up and turn away from that system of justice, I think only leaves taking matters into your own hands. And and, and that's the type of things I think that we that we saw in America 12 months ago um, at Capitol Hill where Donald Trump supporters decided to take things into their own hands. And that's that's not the type of society that, that I want to live in.
0: This does sound, as you say, like very basic things that I'm sure a lot of people want to get behind and support. How can they support your campaign?
1: We have got a, a petition happening at the moment. You can go to the petition on change.org. Um, and we would love it if you would sign the petition, share the petition. Um, the whole purpose of me sharing, you know, the ins and outs of <laughs> of my very um, upsetting and distressing personal experiences is to create social change so the best thing to do is to jump onto change.org sign the petition share the petition and then get in touch with whoever you think you can to raise your voice because all of us need to stand up and make change together so whether that's contacting your local paper um, calling talk back as confronting as that may be, calling talk back, calling your local MP and demanding that we change our legal systems to
0: to create better justice outcomes for victims and survivors. Well, Karen, thank you so much for continuing to speak out, um, especially because it's such a, such a personal cost. But um, I just want to acknowledge your bravery and your advocacy. And thank you so much for st- sharing your story with us and for creating a campaign we can all get behind. Oh, thanks, Larissa. Thanks for having me on. Karen Isles is a lawyer, advocate and, quite frankly, an inspiration. It's important to note no one has ever been charged in relation to the alleged crimes outlined in our interview. The Queensland Police Service said in a statement that inquiries failed to yield further evidence in order to proceed with the investigation and a spokesperson for New South Wales Police says historical sexual abuse claims are treated seriously and complaints are fully investigated.